We are going through the incredible book of Ruth. Has anybody been enjoying this, all right? I've been really enjoying going through this together as a family, as a church, because I sit up here and I say over and over again that we are all about redeeming all things through the presence of Jesus, right? That is our call, that we redeem all things. And the book of, the sto- the book of Ruth and the story of Ruth is simply this. When things seem impossible, God brings redemption through normal people, all right? When things seem impossible, God brings redemption through normal people. And so you need to hear this. Everyone, eye contact with me right here. God is going to use you to redeem things. If you don't believe that, you're not in the right room. God is calling you not just to follow Him, but part of following Him is that you join with Him in redeeming things. There are so many people out there that are hurting, that are in pain, that need Jesus, and we get to do this, join with them in redeeming things. So the book of Ruth is this amazing story because we see three things, okay? One, God works in mysterious ways. To redeem things. Two, in all things, for he works for the good of those who are with him. And three, God's grace knows no bounds, okay? So these are three truths that we're going to see throughout the book of Ruth, okay? And Ruth is a case study of how God does the redemption. You're going to see it throughout that Ruth is this story, this case study of how we see how God redeems things. Because have you ever noticed that God doesn't redeem things exactly how you think he's going to redeem things, you know, but he's always redeeming things. If this is your first time or you're kind of here new that you have to know the story of Ruth. And so we're going to go through it. Fast forward the story of Ruth because you won't understand it if you don't know what's already happened. There was a famine, right? Ruth is living in Bethlehem. There's a, or Naomi is living in Bethlehem, all right? And there's a famine. And so Elimelech, his, her husband, takes Naomi and goes to Moab, a place away from their home, all right? During that time, her two sons have wives, Ruth and Orpah, right? Ruth and Orpah. And so she had, they have, they have these two sons, and 10 years pass, and in the middle of that, the husband dies, and the two sons die, okay? And so Ruth is like, hey, or Naomi is like, Ruth and Oprah, please go back to your God, go back to your people, go back to security. And what we see is that she encourages her daughters to go back to their land. And if you remember, Orpah does just that, and Ruth, it says, clung to her, right? It said, she said, wherever you go, I will go. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. So Ruth stays with Naomi. Now, what do we know about this situation? Both are women and both are now widows. So they are widows who are penniless. This is looking very bad. And so they begin their journey back to Bethlehem. And Ruth, with Naomi, knows that she is now going to be an outsider. Eddie did a great job talking about that last week, right? What is the outsider? What does it mean to be an outsider? And what does that look like? And we see that upon arrival, Naomi comes and people recognize her. And what happens? She's like, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mark. Because the Lord has made my life very bitter. So she comes with her bitterness. So Ruth comes out of the outsider. Naomi comes with bitterness. This is where we're at in the story, okay? Two weeks ago, we went in-depth about what does it mean to be bitter. And Eddie did an awesome job talking about outsider. And so we see Ruth 
becomes a gleaner. She's going to pick up grain behind the harvesters, okay? This is now her life. As an outsider, this is all she can do, but she has to provide for Naomi. Her life is now this. And we saw last week that Boaz noticed her and invites Ruth in. And we see throughout the rest of the story that Boaz is going to demonstrate some very important aspects of God, okay? We are going to see that Boaz is going to show characteristics of God to Ruth and what we can learn from that. Boaz is going to join with God in redeeming the life of Ruth and Naomi. This is a case study of what God is doing, okay? Everyone on the same page? And not only that, but he's going to foreshadow what Christ is doing in our lives. So let's jump in. Ruth 2.13. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants, okay? So Boaz says, welcome Ruth in, and Ruth responds with what? She responds with gratitude. She's like, she's two reasons for her gratitude, okay? She has two reasons. She thanks Boaz first for number one, calming her emotions. She says, she says, you have comforted me. Now the root word for this is a wide range of meanings. It does mean to comfort her. It does mean to bring relief. It does mean to console, but it's way deeper than the surface when you look into this world because what it means is to breathe deeply. You have allowed me to breathe deeply. He has brought great mental relief to Ruth, okay? She was in a state of insecurity and fear that we probably cannot imagine. If you are a foreigner walking into a new land and you're a penniless widow, you are carrying anxiety and fear and worry. And he, she says that you have allowed me to breathe deeply, to slow down my emotions, to calm down. And we see that she has found comfort and security in Boaz's kindness and him expressing God's kindness to her has allowed her to, to, to ease her emotions. Listen, when we're in times of mass uncertainty, and there are times, many of us are experiencing this right now, where we have a level of uncertainty in our lives. I'm not going to show a, a level of hands, but there are times where we have uncertainty. In times of our deepest knees, you will see God come through you come through like Boaz does for Ruth, and God will calm your emotions. Have you ever felt that? When you feel anxious and you feel worried and you feel fearful and you feel panicked, trust me, I have experienced panic attacks in my life myself and the Lord has calmed my emotion. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, but God, through who He is, through the power of His Word, through the power of His Holy Spirit, He's going to calm your innermost being. You are the greatest gift from God can give you is He will give you the ability to... Breathe deeply, all right? So Boaz is giving Ruth the opportunity to breathe deeply. Number two, she expresses gratitude for him because of his kind words. She says, you have spoken kindly to me. This is an idiom that really means this. You have spoken straight into my heart. Okay, not only have you said nice, kind things, she says you have said something that went 
into my ears. I processed it and it pierced my heart. All right. It's a deep sense of, of this speaking kindly, encouraging my innermost being, my, my deepest places. And Boaz, like God, looks past Ruth's status as a foreigner. He looks past her issues of her class. And she is a young female widow foreigner, the lowest rung of the ladder. Ruth knows it herself. And she's blown away that, that Boaz looks past all that. And just like God, speaks directly to her heart. Listen, many of us feel too insignificant or we don't believe that we have the status or that the Lord would even listen to us or, or see our pains with all the things that are going around. But when crisis hits, we are to bring our challenges to God because He wants to calm your emotions and He wants to speak directly to your heart, okay? And so Boaz is demonstrating this and this is what Ruth is saying to him. Now the next session, section, okay? It's going to go even deeper than that. But before I begin, I want to start with this observation. I have found that there are two types of people in the world. My wife and I are opposite in this, alright? I'm going to show a hand. Raise your hand if you are a foodie. Raise your hand if you're a foodie. Like, it's all that matters. Oh my goodness, there are only like four or five. Okay. Like, the best food, the table needs to set properly. You're going to go a whole experience. You're al gauchoing it every night if you could, all right? There you go. Now I got some more hands because of al gaucho, all right? There are foodies in the world, all right? And then there are people who are like me. Food is just an energy source, and you just got to keep moving past it. Raise your hand if you're that. All right, most of you are that. I am 100%. Food is just in the way of me going to the next thing. I was actually taught this, and, I, and I'll, I'll share this. When I was in elementary school, I remember it vividly. You would, I would walk through the line and get all my food, and I would go sit down with my friends, and then the most magical thing in the history of the world would happen. These double doors at the end of the cafeteria would open, and light would shine in, and all you would see was the playground. And we didn't have any, any timestamp. You were allowed to eat as fast as you wanted to get out to the playground. You know, here's some actual footage of me and my buddies eating. Uh, you're going to see this right here. Uh, this is us actually eating to get to the playground, all right? Let's go. I'm just hogging it. There are people literally throwing up on the playground because they have just eaten. We're chugging a full thing of milk to get out there. That's disgusting. I was told not to show this, but that's how I eat, okay? If I could eat, this is how I would eat. I would, it is a means to an end. I am ready to go. Now, why is that important? In American life, the table is not a place of significance anymore. It, it really isn't, okay? I, I won't have a show of hands, but how many families actually eat together at this point? How many families spend time together around a table? But we're going to look from generational past that the table is this central location within society, okay? The table was a central location within society, and it plays much more of a significant place than simply to eat. I wouldn't even eat at a table if I had a choice. I would throw in a football game, I would eat very fast, and move on to the next thing. But what we see is from generational past that tables matter, Ruth 2, 14. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied. 
and she had some left over. So all that Boaz has said to her and all that Boaz has done to her is nothing compared to what he just does here. Okay? He invites her to dine with him. In the ancient Near East, uh, people didn't just eat. Eating together and being invited to a table had huge symbolic significance. This meal was a meal that Boaz had prepared for his paid workers. They, they had done a morning of hard work, and he's like, I'm going to set this table. And, he, and all of his workers were shocked because he invited an outsider into it, okay? This is what the dynamics of what would have been going on. The Moabite was able to sit at the same table as the paid staff, and Ruth is probably standing at a distance, and he, so he says to her, come here, come to my table. Not only does he invite her to the table, but he gives her the food, and he shares the food that the workers were also allowed to have, okay? And he says, eat from this bread, and then he goes deeper even. He's like, dip it in wine vinegar. He says, don't just eat dry bread. Dip it in the wine vinegar. He's like, spice it up a little, okay? You, you can spice it up a little bit. For a foreigner who's penniless, this may not sound like a big deal to us, but this was like Ruth going to Texas Day Brazil, all right? I'm all about Texas Day Brazil. When they bring the meat stick and you got the green card and you're just, I don't know if anybody knows what I'm talking about, but they just meat after meat. All right, men's green Group. Where is it? John, Phil, all that men's group at Texas Deep Brazil next time, all right? We're just eating meat. But for her, this, this bread dipped in wine vinegar would have been as sweet as a meat stick for me coming with the guy cutting meat into my table. So he invites her into the table. He feeds her the same food. He gives her the delicacy of drip, dip, dipping the bread. And then he serves roasted grain to her himself, it says, all right? This Hebrew term that it uses here is that he gave it to her with his own hands. Okay, there's an intimacy to what Boaz is doing. He's invited to, to the table, but he's literally serving her. And it says that she ate all that she wanted, so much so that there was even some left over. So what do we see with this? What can we learn with this? Number one, the table God set for Ruth was full of abundance was full of abundance, okay? It's more than what she needed. Ruth is desperate, and in her desperation, the Lord not only provides, but He provides in overflowing ways, all right? And in her desperation, she sees the Lord as provider of abundance. I know that many of you are going through it right now. I, I, it, that's one of the joys of being a pastor and one of the challenges of being a pastor. I know many people are struggling right now, so I want to be very careful when I say this, but it's hard hard to believe sometimes, but we learn in this story, you can trust him. And then you trust him. He's not just going to give you enough. He's going to give you more than enough. And, and listen, Ruth doesn't just come to Bethlehem and all of a sudden it's flowing, right? There was a process to it. She had to travel from Moab. There was probably some time that, that takes place. But the Lord was setting a table and the table is full of abundance. In our desperation, we can trust that God is a God of abundance, okay? We serve a God who is a God of abundance. Someone needs to write that down. 
just as number two, just as Ruth had no idea a table was prepared for her with Boaz, we often don't see the provision God has ready for us. Do you ever feel that? Ruth showed up simply to the field to glean. That's all she did, okay? Gleaning was picking up the scraps from a field. She is not living the glamorous life. This is not a moment that you take Instagram selfies of yourself, okay? She is bent over picking up grain that is left from the harvesters. And she probably had this level of, if you're in the gleaning level, you're in the freak out level, okay? She is freaking out probably in some degree. There was probably worry and anxiety and fear, all those things that begin to bubble up that don't allow the hope to bubble up. Do you feel that? The hope, it cannot bubble up when fear and anxiety and worry is running your life, right? But when you're gleaning in the field, it's hard to see hope, right? And what we see is that in our situation, you have to hold on to the promises of God. Take the story of Ruth into your heart and remember the ways the Lord has come through for you, all right? This is a great reminder. This week during uh, noon on Wednesday, we, a group of us get together and we pray for the needs of the church. And Pat, one of our, our faithful, she, she's there every week to pray. And, and she mentioned this again. She said, someone in the church needs to build a chronology, and what she said is that through this process, for those that are new, you don't know what buying this building really meant, okay? There was, this was, this was all we had was a promise from God that he was going to put a church in the heart of the city. And along the way, there have been opportunities to have freak out moments. If you're close enough to me, you know the freak out moments that I have had. Jonathan, hold your tongue. <laughs> I've had moments where I freaked out. Jonathan's had to be there. Brian's had to be there. Mark, Stacy, all the Tony, you know. There are freak out moments, okay? There are moments where you're like, I don't see how you're going to come through, but you know that he's going to come through. Now, here's the moment. When we had the freak out moments, every single time the Lord has come through for us, and we need to write those things down because it's so easy to forget. But also, it's so easy to forget how he does it completely opposite of how you think he's going to. Yeah. When I have my freak out moments, I build strategic plans. My strategic plans have always failed, okay? But the Lord says, I got the provision. I'm setting the table. I've got the provision. And so what we have to see is that we have to see the stories of God, the stories of God of what he's doing, but also the stories of God in your own life of how he's come through. God has always provided over and over again. Number three, we also see that Ruth worked diligently, but the table provided was by grace. Was by grace. As a Moabite woman, she grew up in the grasslands, okay? Which means that she probably was a part of either agriculture or animals, okay? And what we see is that she probably was nomadic in some ways, but she was a typical hardworking young female. All right. She was showing up to glean. She had this background in her. She was willing to put in the work. Diligent work is what we are called to. And at the same time, we hold this true. The hand of God is so evident in the story of Ruth. God's hand guides her to the field of Boaz. And look, in the Hebrew theology, and we hold this true too, that everything is credited to an ever-present 
all-powerful God. This is not chance, right? This is God's grace that Ruth shows up at this field. The table is a table of grace for Ruth. We have to understand this. We have a divine author, and all of our greatest blessings are gifts of grace. Yes, we show up and work. Yes, we do the hard work, but at the same time, the Lord is blessing us through grace. Hold on to this, prob- this promise. In the Bible, the table is much more important than a quick meal. And Ruth is experiencing this table moment. And many of us have experienced table moments in our life. And many of us need a table moment coming our way. Amen? There is symbolic significance, and God is inviting you to the table. Psalm 23, the most famous, famous psalm. You hear it all the time. Psalm 23, 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Literally, you probably read this all the time. Somehow, every modern Christian song has a variance of this verse. Do you ever feel it? But what we see is that all of Psalm 23 is King David expressing confidence that the Lord will lead him and lead his people into a place of plenty. All right? And so what we see is verse 5 is this final victory. And And the verse is this, that there is a table. There is literally a victory banquet that is being set up. And it's God providing all the hospitality. This is not us setting the table. This is not us coming up with the food. This is the Lord God setting the table in this victory banquet. And He is the hospitable one, okay? And it's a place that we can rejoice in God's provision. And it says here, listen, it says here, there are enemies. The enemies are going to be there. There are people who persist in pushing against us. There are people there who oppose God as Redeemer King. And it says they're there, but they don't get any of the food. They're just sitting there and they get to watch in defeated frustration is what it's saying. Despite impending dangers in David's life or impending danger in your own life, the Lord spreads out a table for him. God always provides. And then he gives this image to take it one step forward. He says, it's this image of him being anointed with oil. What's happening there? This sense of refreshment and soothing in the middle of this table. This image of God as the gracious host. And it's clear that David knew no matter how bad things got, because they got bad for him, no matter how bad his lot in life was, a.k.a. his cup, it was abundant and it was overflowing with blessings from the Lord. All right? And Boaz is displaying this grace to Ruth, all right? This table setting, he is pouring it out to us, and, his, and she's showing God's kindness and God's abundance. And he's, he says, I'm in, God is inviting you to the table, okay? God is inviting you to the table. Now, the next part we're going to see is Boaz displays another part of God's character. Ruth 2, let's keep going, 15 through 16. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean. 
and do not rebuke her. Boaz goes even further. He's like, he says to his men, let her glean right behind her. No longer does she have to go to the edges. No longer does she get the scraps of scraps. She's getting the first of the grain that falls from the harvester. And he goes even further. He's like, take some stalks and lay them down for her so she, she can have them, all right? And then she goes, he goes even farther. He's like, do not humiliate her. Do not insult her. Do not rebuke her. Boaz is protecting her. It's almost certain that these men, if Ruth came in, they probably would have in some ways abused a person like Ruth coming in, okay? This is a person who comes to the field uninvited and probably is getting in the way in some ways. Do you ever feel that when someone gets in your way, right? They, they, may, have, they have, may have physically harmed her or at least psychologically harmed her. And Boaz is saying, do not physically harm her and do not put her to shame in any way. Boaz Boaz is displaying God as protector. God as protector. Look, Ruth and Naomi have been through a lot. God as a protector is a very hard concept. And I want to be careful here because I know so many people have been through hard things. So I'm going to unpack this a little bit. Because we have to understand this. There is an evil one. There is evil out into the world that is what? Trying to steal kill and destroy that's what's happening in the world there is active progress happening in that okay things are going to happen to us but God redeems us and as he redeems he also protects Psalm 121 7 through 8 we see this the Lord watches over you the Lord is your shade at your right hand the sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. We have a promise, okay? We have a promise here. Now, what do we do with that? Because there's pain and suffering going on at the same time. Look, this is something I struggle with. This is something I process, right? We all have to process these things. We all get to wrestle with these things. Now, this psalm was written for the Jewish traveler, okay? Now, a Jewish traveler would, would have been singing this song and there would, have been, um, <clears throat> there would have been no stranger to the effects of evil, all right? Traveling is dangerous just even in modern day. Back then, tra traveling, there was danger to it. This was not easy, right? A Jewish traveler was tra would be traveling through Israel. Well, what do we know about Israel? They're, they fall into the hands of ruthless nations a lot, right? This is not a safe place or safe thing to do. And so we see that when you take a bird's eye view of Scripture, it's not that the traveler isn't facing evil, isn't facing challenges, doesn't have pain or suffering along the way, but they know that the Lord is their protector at the same time. And we see that when we take a bird's eye view of Scripture, including Ruth's life, we see a story of what God is doing about it. He's bringing justice. He's bringing, he's saving grace to her, right? And he will one day make everything right. And that's what the psalm's talking about. God's timing is not our timing. His ways are not our ways. But we are trust that he is faithful. Because there is evil in the world. And so at times we will suffer. I wish it wasn't true. I wish I had different news. There will be times that we suffer. But we also know 
that God has the final word. Can I get an amen on that? N.T. Wright says it best. He has a book called Evil and the Justice of God. He says this, the only way to do, the only thing to do is to hold the spectacular promises, like in this psalm, in one hand, and the messy reality in the other, and praise Yahweh, praise the Lord anyway. Ruth's life feels completely out of control. Ruth has suffered. She lost a husband at the very least. She's moved from her town or from her place of origin in Moab to Bethlehem. She's a foreigner, outsider, gleaner. She's dealing with the messiness in her life. And at the same time, God comes in through Boaz as protector. I want to finish here. Ruth 2, 17-23. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she, then she threshed the barley she had gathered and amounted it to an ephah. She carried it back to town and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over and she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law, Naomi, asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you find, where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one of, at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guarding redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, He even said to me, Stay with my workers until, the finish until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for, for him, because it, in someone else's field you might be harmed. So Ruth stayed close to the, to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished. And she lived with, lived with her mother-in-law. God began to redeem Ruth's life through Boaz, right? And we see Naomi's bitterness through this begins to what? Be transformed. Naomi's like, look at the amount of grain you brought home. And Ruth tells her where. He's like, where in the world did this come? And Ruth says, this is where it is. And, and Liz next week is going to go deeper into this guarding redeemer, which I'm really excited about. But Naomi, who brought all the bitterness in the world from Moab, who changed her own name from Mara, from Naomi to Mara, which means bitterness, and is being transformed. There is like trickle-down blessing happening right here. All right? Naomi breaks out into spontaneous blessing. And in that blessing, she uses the word, the word that we've talked about the last two weeks, okay? She used this word, hesed. She uses the word hesed in this blessing. If you remember, two weeks ago, I talked about this. The word hesed is a word that we don't have an English word for, all right? But it means God's love and his covenant faithfulness and his mercy and his grace and his kindness and his loyalty. And this is the second time that it comes off her lips, okay? We remember the first time, Ruth 1.8. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go each of you to the mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you 
as he has dealt with the, dealt with the dead and me. And what we see is in the midst of her bitterness, she was dealing with the Lord's hesed, okay? She knew that the Lord was hesed. She knew that he was faithful. She knew that there was love, that there was mercy, that there was grace. That, but at the same time, she wasn't feeling that. Some of us are in seasons where we know that the Lord is this, but we don't feel it, right? And she's like, I know this to be true. And her bitterness is overwhelming and all-consuming. She changes her own name, and now she's saying, the Lord is Hesed. I see it. He's redeeming through His faithfulness, through His love. He's redeeming all things. And Naomi is finding healing from her bitterness. Boaz is showing God's love to Ruth. Ruth's life is beginning to be redeemed. And it has this trickle-down effect to Naomi. Alright, so what do we do with all this? Some of us are in moments in our life where we are like Boaz, okay? We are in a Boaz-type season. We get to join with God in redeeming things. All right. There are blessings that we have. There are opportunities that we see that we have. If we have the eyes to see like Boaz, that we can join in redeeming other people's lives. We can speak kind words into people. We can uh, calm their emotions. We can provide for them. But sometimes God's calling us to expand our table. Sometimes we are Boaz and he's saying, expand your table. Let's look at this. Luke 14. Jesus has been invited to a Sabbath dinner, okay? And in this, all of the religious leaders are there. All the socially prominent guests, all the experts of the law. This is a who's who of dinners, all right? These are the, this is the party that you want to be invited to. And Jesus says to them, I don't want to do, I don't want to see any more of this social climbing stuff that's happening, all right? Luke 14, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Some of us need to expand our tables. Some of us have an opportunity to see the world, to see the pain and the suffering. And just like Jesus, he's saying, invite people to your table. Literally, it might be breaking bread with someone that you don't know here at church. Maybe it's, it's providing a meal to a person in need along the way, whatever that is. But expanding your table to those who can never repay you. Ruth cannot repay Boaz. She is a gleaner. She doesn't have any money. Money. He says, come, sit at the table. I invite you in. And not only that, but I'm going to give you bread that was set for my paid workers. And I'm going to feed it with my own hands. Invite people to the table. Some of you are in life situations like Ruth, where you need some stuff redeemed. It might be health. It might be Money, it might be some situation, it might be something at work, just something that just you just have no way out of. You can't even see the way out of it. 
It may feel like you're at your end, but I'm telling you, God is calling you to trust. Trust in His grace. Trust in His goodness. It's okay where you're at. It really is. But you have to trust in His hesed. That He has love, that He has kindness, that He has mercy, that He has faithfulness, that He's never going to let you down. You might be like the gleaner, like Ruth. You're bent over, picking up the scraps, it feels like. And you have to trust, even when you can't... She didn't expect Boaz to invite her in. She didn't see the table that was being prepared for her. She didn't see the abundance. She had no way in her earthly eyes to see it. But when we trust God... We trust God with everything. We get to experience His hesed, His love and His faithfulness and His mercy and His peace. And then all of us, here's what I want to say, all of us, everyone fits in this category. Whether you feel like you need to invite more people to the table or you feel like you are a Ruth that you don't even know where the table's coming. God is redeeming your life. God has redeemed your life. You are redeemed people. You are marked by redemption, okay? You walk around like redeemed people. Here's what happens when we walk around like redeemed people. There are Naomi's in our lives. Now, we walk into our redemption. We walk as redeemed people, and Naomi's are the ones that get to experience the trickle-down grace, the trickle-down hesed of the Lord. And there are people right outside that are so bitter to God that don't even want to talk to God, don't even want to think about God, don't even want to hear the name God, don't even want to hear Jesus because they're so bitter. And and many things came their way that made them that way. But as we walk in as redeemed people, as we love as redeemed people, as the joy of the Lord is on us, there is trickle-down effects where Naomi's begin to say, my life was so bitter, but look how the Lord is redeeming even me. There are people whose life seem so hopeless, But through our redeemed lives, they can experience hope. God's in the redeeming business. And if you call yourself a son or a daughter, you get to join in the family business. You're now grafted into the family business. Our business is now redeeming all things through His presence. That is what our family business is. So let's stand up. I'm going to pray for each person. Heavenly Father, there are some of us who are like Boaz, that we have an opportunity, Lord, to invite the person who doesn't feel like they're seen, who doesn't feel like they can be heard, that maybe doesn't even have enough for tomorrow, Lord, and we get to invite them to the table in whatever capacity that looks like, that we get to, with our hands, feed them, And with our love, speak encouraging words to them. Calming them. Joining with you in redeeming all things, Lord. So I pray right now, this is a little bit of time, I'm just going to give a moment that 
Just, Lord, that you would, your spirit would be speaking. Maybe there's somebody will pop into someone's head, Lord. We pray, come Holy Spirit, speak to us. Just maybe there's somebody that we're supposed to invite to the table, Lord. Some of us are uh, in Ruth's situations. I'm going to do something. And uh, every head bowed, please. Um, if, you're, if you're that, will you actually just raise your hand? Just if, if there's some people that just need something to move, just needs prayer over them, Lord. Some redemption over their lives, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, everyone that raised their hand, Lord, we know that you're moving even when we can't see it, Lord. So we pray, Lord, for just your provision, for your abundance, Lord. We pray, come Holy Spirit, move in each of, our li- in each of their lives, Lord, that you would redeem their lives. Lord, that you would provide even when we don't see it that you would provide. Lord, I pray for miracle after miracle after miracle to come into this house, Lord. Sometimes there's big ones. Sometimes there's small ones like I didn't even see it coming, but someone provided or someone gave me a kind word when I needed it. So Lord, we pray for little miracles to happen, Lord. And Lord, I pray as a church that we would have the eyes to see those that need redemption, Lord, that we can provide for them, Lord. Then we pray for our community, Lord, for everyone, everyone walking around right now, Lord Jesus, who are just so bitter or so lost or who without hope, Lord, that we would be joining with you in the redemption of our community, Lord Jesus. So we pray for every neighborhood, for every friend, for every family member, for every coworker who needs the love of Jesus, Lord. Let us walk this week as redeemed people, bringing your hope and your joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship together.